to spend time this week being thankful for all that God has blessed you with. And one of the things I was pondering this last week, and because I knew I was planning this sermon on Jesus being a, the ultimate servant, well, I started thinking about who were servants in my life, who are the people that have served me, that have helped me along my journey. Now, when I think of servants, I think of two different ways you can look at a servant. One is, uh, if you go out to eat, you have a waiter or a waitress, and in some, in some ways they are serving you, but they are getting paid for that. There is a benefit for them. It's their job. But then there's this type of servant who just does things for you with no benefit to them at all. It's just because of their grace and their love. And so as I started thinking back through the years, I, I thought of just countless people that have really made an impact on my life, just going above and beyond and serving me. Now, I think of my parents, uh, that might be obvious, but one of the things that stood out about my parents is they really pushed me and made some sacrifices and helped me get through college. When I graduated high school, I had no desire to go to college. I just wanted to go in the workforce and make a bunch of money. I didn't want to go to college. No one on either side of my family had gone to college. But they made sure and they pushed me hard and they prayed for me and they sacrificed so I could do that. And so they were serving me. Uh, on a lighter note, social outcast because they had a disease that no one 
stay away from people. They were alone. Well, Jesus encounters these ten lepers, and he heals them. And nine of them get excited, and they leave. Only one went to Jesus and said, hey, thanks for doing that. I mean, you didn't have to do that. I'm just paraphrasing, but you didn't have to heal us. But because you love us and you have grace and mercy, you do that for us. We don't want to be like the nine. We want to be like the one that always remembers, never takes it for granted on what Jesus did, how he suffered for us, how he became that ultimate servant. It's, it's major that we don't forget that. Now, the whole basis of this series is, that, is this, that Jesus is in the Bible from Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end of Revelation. Many times we think of Jesus and we think, well, he popped up in Matthew, Centuries later, what Jesus did for us. 
He provided a means where we didn't have to pay the penalty of our sin. Then we saw Jesus, the Passover lamb. We talked about the Israelites being in Egypt. Do you remember the ten plagues? Well, that last plague was a doozy. It, it came in and it, it was going to go through the whole land and every house that didn't have the, the Passover lamb, the blood of the Passover lamb on it, there was going to be death in that house. But if you had that blood on your doorpost, you would be passed over. Hence the name Passover. And again, that was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was to do for us centuries later, that when we accept what Jesus did on the cross for us, and as in essence, put put the blood of Christ on us because they were accepting that free gift, we are, we are over, we're passed over from death and we spend eternity with God. But then last week, this is this one I really love, Pastor Avery talked about the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. We kind of referenced, our main reference last week was Psalm 23, which we all know. But here's some characteristics of the sheep because in case you didn't know, since Jesus is the good shepherd, that means we're the sheep. Now, when I was a kid, I used to always think, oh, I'm glad to be called a sheep because they look so cuddly, they're white, they're pure. Man, what a lovely animal. Well, then years later, when I started learning more about sheep, I realized that really wasn't a compliment to be called a sheep. And so it's important as we get uh, into our discussion today on what Jesus did for us that we understand why we need Jesus, why we need a Savior, why we need a good shepherd. And so here's some characteristics of sheep that we just need to remember. One is sheep are followers, okay? They're followers. It's kind of like our human condition. Much of our culture is just kind of following the next trend. So I read an article that said if you put a bunch of sheep in a barn and you open the gate and you put like maybe a rope across about one foot high over the opening, they will jump over that rope as they leave. And that you think, well, that sounds pretty smart. They really are smart. Well, until you take the rope down and they keep jumping over nothing, just because the animals in front of them jump, they jump. That's what we do sometimes. We follow people and just follow what's going on in the world without a true foundation. We need we need the good shepherd to guide us and give us direction because most sheep have no direction. They have no sense of direction. They just kind of meander. I call it relativism. They just, you know, our culture just is all over the place. And when we're committed to God's word, this, everything we decide is based on this. It's not based on what's going on around us. It's also cool that sheep recognize the shepherd's voice. When we have, when we accept Christ and we have him as leader of our life, we can recognize his voice. We can recognize the direction he gives. We'll know which way we're supposed to go. They also, sheep settle for less. Let me give you an example. Uh, let's say there, you had a sheep here, about 20 feet from that sheep, you had this beautiful, pristine, but about 15 feet from the sheep, you had a dirty puddle. What do you think they're going to go to? They're going to go to drink out of the dirty puddle because they're short-sighted. They, they don't, they're not thinking of the long-term effect. They're like, well, that's closer. I'm just going to go to that. And that's much what we do today. We, don't, we're, we really live in the here and now. That's what a, uh, a non-believer especially does. They live in the here and now. Jesus wants us to be the, follow him, the good shepherd, because he knows what's best for us. Even though we might not see it, he wants to take to the place he wants and fulfill his purpose. But I think the biggest attribute of a sheep is this. Back in Jesus' day, they were extremely valuable. So when we're called sheep, the good shepherd loves us so much. He loves us. Jesus loves us so much. And he tells us this over in John 10 and 11, where Jesus 
says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. Now, that brings us up to today. Today, we're going to land on Isaiah 53. And you'll probably recognize some of it as I read it here in a little bit. But Isaiah 53 is, a, is a, like a, many scholars consider it the Mount Everest of the references to Jesus in the Old Testament. It's like the pinnacle. It's very, 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 very important. And because it's a major prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. And this is, a, this is important because Jesus claimed to be God. In fact, he said he was the one that was fulfilling all these prophecies from the Old Testament. Luke 24, 44, Jesus said to them, he says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus is saying, all those prophecies about the coming Messiah in the Old Testament, I'm the guy. That's me. I'm the man. I'm, I'm the real deal. You're going to see all these prophecies come to fruition. I'll give you a couple examples. If you were to go over to the book of Micah, which is one of those prophets, it references Bethlehem. We know Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You go to the book of Zechariah, it talks about the king riding into town on a donkey. Jesus did that say, well, hold on, Pastor Brett. I mean, lots of people were born in Bethlehem, but can't anybody just go jump on a donkey and say they have fulfilled that prophecy? Well, let me, I want to give you a little bit more info, because it is good to know that Jesus fulfilled about 300 prophecies from the Old Testament. <clears throat> One guy. So I read, I was studying this week, and I was looking at this book called Science Speaks, written by a, a, a well-known author. And he was, he said, let me tell you how understand Jesus fulfilling all these prophecies. Okay? Let's just say he only fulfilled eight. He, he fulfilled several hundred, but let's say he only fulfilled eight of those. What does that mean? What, what does that mean? Well, the odds of him fulfilling eight, one man fulfilling just eight prophecies, is one in ten to the seventeenth. Okay? That's one followed by seventeen zeros. That's a really big number. Another analogy was used that if you took quarters stacked quarters two feet high and they covered the whole state of Texas and you just happened to pick up the one quarter that had an X on it. Okay? That's, that's extremely rare. That's just for eight prophecies. So I share all that just so you understand Jesus is the real deal. Jesus is who he says he is. So now as we read, when we get into Isaiah, we're going to move through this pretty quick because it really speaks for itself. You're going to understand how important we understand what Jesus did and the power of him being the ultimate servant. So I want to go to Isaiah 52 first. Isaiah 52, verse 13, because it kind of sets up what's coming in Isaiah 53. Um, it's important that when Isaiah is writing this, he writes this using past tense, meaning that he's so sure this is going to happen, he's writing it like it already happened. And so we want to, we want to get a good clarity on that. So Isaiah 52, 13 says, Behold, my servant... Jesus is God talking. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. When it says act wisely, that means he's going to fulfill exactly what I called him to do. The purpose I have for Jesus, he is going to accomplish exactly that. He says, Jesus is my servant. It doesn't mean that Jesus is less than God. It means that Jesus voluntarily limited himself and came down and came as one of the as one that is full man. What's cool about this is Isaiah is sharing 
this. He's kind of giving a spoiler here. Jesus is going to win, he says. Now let me tell you how it's going to happen. It's not going to be pretty. He's going to suffer a lot. But it's like he wants to let us know ahead of time so we don't get discouraged. Now how many of you watched all the Astros games several weeks ago? Okay? How many of you stayed up every single night until 1130 to watch them? Okay? I didn't. What I did is if I got too late and I got tired, I would record it. And then the next morning, before I watched it, what do you think I did? I want to know who wins. And if we don't win, I'm deleting it. I don't want to watch us lose. And that's what this kind of, this is what this reminded me of. Hey, let me tell you who's going to win. Then you can relax and know that even though this is going to be tough on Jesus, he's going to pay the ultimate price for you. Hey, in the end, we win. We, we get all the victory. It's for our benefit. So let me start reading real quick now over in Isaiah 53. We're going to move through this because this is a short chapter, but it's a picture of what Jesus did for us, a prophecy that he fulfilled. First of all, Jesus was despised and rejected. He was despised and rejected. Isaiah 53, 1-3, let me read that. It says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. Let me pause there. That, that young plant or the root out of dry ground, that, that's a symbol of something worthless. Somebody that didn't seem to matter to the people that were there. Jesus was not like on the who's who list. He was not voted most likely to succeed. He, just, he was just an ordinary guy, an ordinary Jewish man. He didn't stand out as he was growing up as somebody that everybody flocked towards. He said he had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as, as one from He was despised and we esteemed him not. That means we didn't care. We, didn't, we just didn't care about Jesus at all. But we do know this. Because of Jesus' words and works, many people did eventually come to him and uh, he drew great crowds. But nothing about his physical appearance, like I said, distinguished him from any other Jewish man. He was just another average guy to many people. They were, many people were ashamed of him. His own people were ashamed of him because he did not represent the things that were so what were some of the things that were important to the Jews? Well, things like wealth, social prestige, reputation, and being served, being served instead of serving. Okay? We could say those are the same today. Many people don't want anything, they don't want anything to do with Jesus today because he doesn't represent what they want, which is wealth and social prestige and reputation and being served. It's the same today. That's what Jesus, that was the setting his culture. He was rejected and despised by everyone around him for much of his life. Number two, not only did we see that Jesus was despised and rejected, we see that he took our place. We talked about this a while ago, that Jesus was our substitute. He took our place. He did something that we didn't have to do. You can think of a time in your life where maybe you did something for somebody else because they couldn't do it. No, they, they needed help and you went and took their place. Well, nothing compares to the substitute that Jesus did for us, that he performed for us, and that is to give his life for us. So picking up in verse 4, here's what Isaiah says. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed, esteemed him stricken, 
smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Let me pause right there. We are pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Uh, most scholars believe that's referring to crucifixion, which is interesting because crucifixion didn't exist when Isaiah wrote this. Crucifixion, that punishment, came several hundred years later after Isaiah wrote this. It didn't even exist. But then it says, because of uh, the chastisement that Jesus went through for us, we experience peace. We can have peace with God. We, we, don't, we, we can't do that unless we have Christ in our life. We have peace with God. He took our place. He took our place. Verse 6 goes on to say, And all we like sheep, being sheep long ago. All we like sheep have gone astray. Not some of us, but all of us. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, laid on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So when Jesus did come, several hundred years after this was written, he paid the penalty for sin for everybody. Not just you, not just me, but everybody, past, present, and I love this quote I read. It says, under the law of Moses, the sheep died for the shepherd. Okay, look at Abraham, okay? When he made a sacrifice, the sheep died for the shepherd. But under grace, when Jesus came, the good shepherd died for the sheep. That's, that's the recipients. That's the benefit we have as our great shepherd came for us. Then it says, verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Can you imagine not saying a word with all the punishment that he went through? He just took it. Uh, there's a commercial that used to come on uh, a number of years ago where there's this referee sitting on a couch. I guess he's a retired referee. And uh, his wife is just talking, chatting, chatting, yelling at him, talking in his ear. And the idea was, what prepared him for that? Well, he was a referee. Spent so much time hearing coaches gripe all the time, it didn't affect him when he heard his wife. And so, with that, well, I'm not saying anything about wives, but using that commercial as an example of what happens sometimes is we uh, we do, we don't realize that we God has God has a reason for us to uh, and prepares us for every situation. sitting on the couch. He just, he knew what he was there for. He knew he was fulfilling his purpose. I mean, I have a hard time. If someone comes and just is barking at me and yelling at me, I have a hard time not saying anything. And Jesus went through much more than I ever will. And so we have to remember that he just restrained himself. He just, because he was there for a purpose. He knew what his purpose was. He wasn't going to be distracted. So verse 8 says, that by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. 
it's, it's interesting in Isaiah writing this, he uses a lot of pronouns like we, us, our, because we're the reason that Jesus had to go through this. He did nothing. We're the recipients of his grace. We're the recipients of what he did. And it's our, because of our issues that he did it. So why do we need a substitute? Okay, we're talking about he took our place. Why do we need a substitute? Well, Romans 5.12 tells us. Romans 5.12 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone where everyone sinned. No matter how good you are, no matter what you've done, we've all sinned. We all need a substitute. Jesus came to be that substitute for us because we need it. We couldn't do it without him. We, we would be destined for eternal separation from God. And then the third part of this chapter is this. Number three, Jesus is victorious. Jesus is victorious. We saw that. We started with that. Now we went through all this stuff that Jesus has to go through. Now we, 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 we kind of wrap it up and, and we, see, we see that Jesus is victorious. Verse 10 says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Did you get that? It was God's will that this happened to him. They, they did this intentionally for us. Jesus was not a martyr. He just wasn't a guy that ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time. This didn't happen by accident. This was intentional. This is the way it was, that it was planned. So he has put himself to grief. When his soul makes an offering of guilt, we shall see his offspring. Now, of course, Jesus had no off, physical offspring. That was referring to the birth of the church. That's the birth of the church is this offspring of Jesus Christ. Then it says he shall prolong his days. Okay, this future servant, which ended up being Jesus, was going to prolong his days. And obviously he did. He resurrected, he was resurrected and, and still lives today. And it says, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Again, it's saying that God's will is going to be done according to what, the way it was supposed to through Jesus Christ, the ultimate servant. The one that was God and always was God. But he chose to come down and live in a humble manner. Uh, over in Philippians 2, 5, it says, all of us should have the attitude of Christ. It says, who, Christ is the one who came down from heaven. He emptied himself. So he could come and live amongst us. Now that is, that's a chapter 2, verse 7, I believe, in Philippians. Oftentimes when it says he emptied himself, people will misinterpret that, saying, well, did he become less God? What does it mean he emptied himself? No, it means he chose to limit his godliness here on earth, meaning using those gifts. He never did become less God. He was always 100% God, 100% man. But he limited his, limited his ability to live as a man. Meaning, when Satan tempted him to turn, turn the stones into bread, he could have done it if he wanted to. It isn't like he didn't have the ability. No, he chose to limit himself so he could live as a man to accomplish his purpose that God had for us. That's really where the key is in there, that we have good clarity on that. And then it says in verse 11, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be Jesus, because what Jesus did, we're counted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus came and lived and died for us. This is just one of so many prophecies in the 
just reminds us again, Jesus is the man, okay? Jesus is the one that is predictive. He is the real deal. Philippians 2, 9 to 11, here's what Paul says. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, no sinner is out of reach. No matter what you've done, you're not out of reach of God. That's good for us to remember because some of us have rough, may have a rough past, maybe you have a rough present, but Jesus is here for everyone. He's here for everyone. Now, at the end of every sermon that I, I preach, I like to give just a couple points because I like to do like a now what. Okay, great, this is very interesting. Now, what do we do with it? Well, first of all, there's three things I want you to just consider today. First of all, we must be sure we recognize Jesus as our substitute. We must recognize Jesus as our substitute. That means we need to recognize he is who he says he is. He took our place, and then we need to accept that gift. You know, God doesn't force himself on us. He doesn't make us become Christians. No, what he does is he says, here is a gift for you. Are you going to receive it? And you must receive that is put your faith and trust in him. Make him the CEO of your life or the boss of your life. Say, hey, I want to live for you. And in a moment when we have our time of commitment, uh, we'll have some prayer partners up here. If you would like to know more about how to do that, we'd love to talk to you about that. It's, it's easy. It's just a, a heart issue. So that's the first thing we need to do is recognize he is our substitute. Second, we need to commit to continually building our lives to him in obedience. Okay, this isn't a one and done. You don't follow Christ and thank him for what he's done and then don't think about it anymore. No, you continually yield your life to him, to follow him, to seek to become more like Jesus Christ. And then number three, the number three thing we should do as a result of seeing what God has done for us as the ultimate servant is we should eagerly spread the gospel of the good news that salvation is available to all. If we really believe what we believe, that should be more part of our lives. It should be more present in our life because we know that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And look what he did. Look what he did. It's just important that we would remember that because that's the whole point of our message today. Jesus is the answer for everything in your life. That's not an overstatement. He is the answer for everything. So I want to talk about faith real quick because I had a friend a number of years ago that was in my life group. We used to have life groups in our home. It was back in 2009, I guess. He did not know Christ. He came to our life group only because his wife drug him there. And uh, I'm glad she did. So we built a relationship. He just struggled with this whole Jesus thing. You know why? Because he didn't have all the answers. He's like a, a, he's like an engineering mind, okay? He, he's, he had to have all the answers. And so I gave him a few answers. But at some point I told him, I said, you know, Isaiah 55 says that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We're not going to get all the answers. That's what faith is. Faith is you, you, you believe, you choose to believe, or you, you believe because we've seen what God has done in our life, and we want to believe our, our heart that it's failing. And so I want to share with you this definition of faith because it applies to all of us, whether you're a current Christian or whether you haven't chosen to make that decision yet. And this definition comes from a put together as a church uh, to disciple new believers in Christ. Listen to this definition of faith. Faith is choosing to live as though God's word is true, regardless of your circumstances, your emotions, or, or 
changes. What better to base your life on than God's word? That is the definition of faith. We live like we actually believe what this thing says. And I hope you all do that. I hope you all do that. So what I want to do is uh, I want to read to you this Dr. Beth Erickson read. I just want you to listen to these verses that are not on the screen. I'm going to read those Isaiah 53 in a different translation just to give Thank you. 
thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforest.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.